Hello, everybody. It's so good to see you. So good to be together. Wasn't last week the most incredible meeting out there in the picnic? Well, not the picnic, but under the trees on the blankets. With the, it was just magnificent, wasn't it? We even had two dogs in attendance in church. Can you believe it? Eh? That was super cool. I think that was a first year for us. Um, that was amazing. Last week we began our Advent journey. Here in, we're in week two in our Advent journey, and we're working through the Gospel of Luke. If you want to open your Bibles to where we're going to be working today, Luke chapter 1. If you want to make your way there, while, while you do that, my name's Luke, just so happens I share the name with the book we're about to look at, and, um, and it's so good to be able to share a message with you today. Where are we in our journey as we work through Luke's account, Luke chapter 1, where, where, where last week we looked at how the angel Gabriel appeared to a man named Zechariah, who was a priest, and he said to Zechariah, in the Holy of Holies, in the holy place, he said, you will bear, a, you, and you won't bear, no, your wife will bear a son, you will have a son. Um, uh, he and his wife were, were elderly, and they had not had children, and so Elizabeth had wanted a child her whole life, and now in their old age, she was going to bear a child, and that dream was going to come true. Um, we're just going to, we're going to let these guys, oh, are we up and run, running? Yes, okay, we're going to let these guys continue to see what they can work out. Uh, as, as Mike said, Lee's on, I'll continue in a second, but just to, so we all know, Lee's but Lee's our administrator. She kind of makes everything happen here. So pray for that family. Um, there are many down as well. There are other volunteers who are down. It's just running through our community. And so when Lee is away, kind of everything, we're scrambling to try and... Uh, and it was sudden too. It was sudden too. Uh, this was now the last few days, so or two days. Anyway, so these guys can do, work out what they can. And... Um, Anyway, where were we? Where were we? Zechariah, you're going to have a baby. They've waited long. And uh, Zechariah is going to be a father, but not just to any baby, to to the forerunner and cousin of the long-awaited Messiah. Although Zechariah is a priest, although he's been a long-time follower of Jesus, although an angel literally appeared in front of him, Zechariah still doesn't believe this is going to happen. And, uh, and, and, and... Now we see, in contrast to this priest, how does an ordinary peasant girl respond to the appearance from the same angel a little while later? Luke chapter 1, to 56 today, um, and then we're going to work it through in two chunks. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38, and I'll read it through together. It's up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible or device with a Bible on with you here today. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth, what a strange place. The little armpit of that whole world there. To the virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And, she came, and, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him a throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. 
Mary said to the angel, but how can this be since I am a virgin? I've got some questions here. Help me understand. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and in power, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Overshadow you is the same Old Testament word we read recently when we looked at the last message in our Exodus series. They build the tabernacle and all its pieces and they put it together and they pray. And the presence of God comes down uh, and overshadows the tabernacle. Same word. Overshadow you, and therefore the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, here's a sign for you, Mary. Elizabeth, she's elderly, she's been barren her whole life, she will conceive. She's, she's conceived a son, and she's in the sixth month with, um, sorry, let me read that again. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible for God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before your word. I was just reflecting as Mike led us uh, from worship into this, this time of sitting under your word. God, we're a people who believe that we read your words to us. That, uh, Lord, as we come before your word, would you speak to us today? Come, Holy Spirit. You spoke to Mary. You spoke to Zechariah. Would you, from your word, God, speak to our hearts and our minds today as we come to you? We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's a beautiful, beautiful um, narrative, telling of uh, this miraculous thing that God did in the life of this extraordinary but ordinary young girl named Mary. I want to make two points as we break this down into two um, chunks today. We've read the first chunk, and the first point I want to make today is that God's grace is not always convenient. God's grace is not always convenient. It's interesting, when, when the angel appeared to Zechariah, he said to, the, said to Zechariah and to you and Liz, your wife, uh, uh, this is going to bring you great joy and gladness. But joy and gladness weren't part of the promised pack- package to Mary this week. When, when Gabriel tells Mary about her pregnancy, Gabriel seems to leave that part out of joy and great gladness. And I think, why would that be the case? And I think for one reason, because... The pregnancy of an unmarried girl is much more problematic than for an elderly married woman. God radically changed Mary's life plans right here. Everything in her life was about to change. She's a young woman from a respected family. She's engaged to a good man. And uh, this announcement was incredibly more risky for her future than what it was for Zachariah and for uh, Elizabeth last week. And, uh, and we look at Mary's response, the first response and reaction upon seeing the angel was one of fear, which is a common reaction in the Bible. It's a fair response when a heavenly being totally unexpected appears before you, right? She's afraid, and so Gabriel reassures her in verse 30, we read, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This, this expression, found favor, is a common phrase we see in the Old Testament. Gabriel is saying to Mary, Mary, God is going to show you unimaginable grace. He's going to give you a tremendous, tremendous privilege that is far beyond what you deserve. And the angel begins to explain this grace to Mary in verse 31 and verse 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Just look at all the adjectives or the the phrases that describe what Christ is going to be like there. Verse 32. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He's, he's a son of David somehow, but he's, but he's a son of the Most High as well. Simultaneously in both kingdoms, if you will. And verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. The, the, he will reign over all of God's people forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. The angel is saying, Gabriel is saying, you've been waiting hundreds of years for this promised Savior King in the lineage of David to arise. Now, Mary, you are going to be the mother to this long-awaited Messiah. This girl, this young peasant girl from nowhere with no prominence is chosen by God to be the mother of the Messiah. I mean, it's amazing. But, and there's a big but here, this news has got massive ramifications on Mary's life. And she would have known, I mean, you can imagine, put yourself into Mary's shoes. She would have known this intuitively straight away. She's engaged to Joe, right? How's she going to explain this to him? What's it going to be? She's going to sit down and have a family meeting now with Joseph's parents and and her parents. And she's going to sit and she's going to have to explain this to their community. In their context, literally for infidelity, she's betrothed. They're not yet married, but she's legally, um, she's, it's, a, it's a different, slightly different process to us. But this is a legal binding process whereby she's engaged to be married to this man. And now there, there's infidelity. There's, there's literal life and death consequences for this. I mean, try to step into her world for a second as she receives this news. How would you feel? If that was you, you're afraid maybe for your reputation. You're afraid for what does this mean for the rest of my life? My whole life is about to, to change. Can I really, God, can I really trust you? Did I really, did I really hear you right? What are you afraid of in that moment? You look at Mary's response. It is the response of incredible courage when you think of Mary as this young girl. It's remarkable, her response. Verse 38, we read it together. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's just, I love it. It's perfect. Mary is showing she, she, she must be about 14 years old, something like that. She is showing the most incredible faith and wisdom. She, she forgets her own life plans almost immediately, and she follows God because her faith rests on God's promise to her and God's promise to his people. She receives this incredible privilege, yet it's, it's radically inconvenient to her life. You, you can see that. It changes everything. Great grace comes to her, yet it's radically inconvenient to her. I wonder if we expect grace to come to us in ways like that. You know, let's let's wrap this one up here. Interestingly, we looked last week at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now we're looking at Mary. Angel Gabriel appears to both of them. But what's what's interesting to do is to contrast these two experiences. In the first encounter with Zechariah, takes place in a temple at the center of Israel's culture. The second one happens far more humbly in an obscure little village away from the capital. Nazareth, they said in the Old Testament, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know how many people lived in Nazareth? The the, the bustling metropolis of Nazareth, the the town of Nazareth. 450 people. Smaller than your primary school probably. We know this because of the amount of water that Nazareth could sustain. The greatest governor on a people then was the water source, you know. So for this little kind of forgotten backwaters village, no more than 450 people. First one appears in the center of the temple. 
now just in this obscure little village to this one is to this great priest of great respect and pedigree who lived a life of faithfulness and the other encounter is to a humble teenage peasant girl in the forgotten village of Nazareth. Zechariah is at the center of the nation in the temple. Mary is on the fringe in obscurity. Yet this pedigreed priest responds with doubt. And this peasant, poor teenage girl responds with faith. It's remarkable. In spite of all of the external factors uh, in her life, why she shouldn't have been the one who is highly favored. She is. And, and she responds to God's purposes with a remarkable amount of courage and faith that I want to I put before us as to this is how to respond to God's purposes. Um, among other things, this passage surely must teach us that spiritual greatness is not a matter of class. It's not a matter of success. It's not a matter of wealth. It's not a matter of education. It's not a matter of privilege. It's a matter of wisdom and a humble heart before God. It's beautiful. No, worth just a little aside, next year we, in our preaching journey, give you an inside, inside scoop, we're going to be working through the book of James. One of the mega themes of the book of James is wisdom, faithful life. It's wisdom. And, uh, and, and Mary demonstrates this profound wisdom where Zechariah, the pedigreed priest, gets it wrong. She responds humbly in wisdom. Yes, yes, let it be done according to your will, Lord. We're loving learning from Mary. Let's continue uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 39 as we look at the second half of this message. What else can we learn from Mary's response? We read the last section, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to, the town, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. There she arrives. She goes to visit her, like her cousin slash auntie, who's obviously many years older than her, the same lady we read about last week. In verse 41, when Elizabeth um, heard, just, you've got to love this. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. This is John the Baptist. Leaps, does like a flick flack in her belly. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy and and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I mean, we just got to stop for a second and appreciate this encounter here. It, we, we're people who love to distill everything to like three points that we can remember, you know, and these are the seven. It, it, we, it's just the way our culture has conditioned us to think. But to just stop and look at this narrative here, something remarkable is happening between these two moms. It's, it's, Mary gets to the door and she says hello to Zechariah. And the baby, John the Baptist, within her womb, seems to hear the greeting and just responds in this profound way. Obviously, under the, the prompting and power of the Holy Spirit's leading. But there's something remarkable and beautiful happening here between these two moms. One very elderly and one very young. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, who comes upon, uh, comes upon Elizabeth, she prophesies over Mary. And she, pr she prays profound blessing over Mary. 
it's just beautiful, man. I love that their babies kind of jiggle as it happens. Verse 46. And now Mary said, now this is Mary's response to this prophetic Holy Spirit encounter that Elizabeth has just had. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Paralleling this one. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and in the thoughts of, of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned home. It's this beautiful little encounter. My second point, our second point as we look at this is like Mary respond to God as a worshiper. Like Mary, respond to God as a worshiper. Mary's a woman of faith. She believes God and she acts on her belief in God. Her plans for life are radically scuppered. They're totally turned upside down and yet she follows God faithfully. She's a wonderful example of a woman of faith that we can all learn from. And she expresses her response to God in this glorious song. You, you may have heard of it. It's got a special name. It's called the Magnificat. It's this beautiful thing that, that Mary kind of responds to this prophetic word with. Verse 46 and verse 47, she says this. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Then a perfect parallel of that is um, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You've got my soul, my spirit magnifies, rejoices the Lord, God, my Savior. It's the same point that she's repeated twice in different ways so as to make the meaning crystal clear. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's magnifying God. She's worshiping God. John Piper says of this, um, says in the same way a star is, it's, it's, it's unimaginably big, yet it appears to us as so tiny because it's far away. And then you pick up a telescope, and that telescope seems to Enlarged seems to show you more of the reality of what really is there. It takes the reality of what's there and it makes it clearer. So too, when we magnify God, this is what we do. In our culture, God can seem small, God can seem insignificant. You and I, when we magnify God, we are like that telescope that, that causes the reality to be clearer. And so that others can see more of who God truly is. And Mary is doing that in her worshipful response. The parallel between, between magnify and rejoice is a beautiful one. Because it's almost as if she's saying that in my joy I worship the Lord. I mean, if Mary, she just had all of her plans changed, if she kind of begrudgingly went along with God's plan saying, okay, God, you know, I really hope to do this and this and this, but you've said so, I'm going to do this thing now. She, she, she would be diminishing God, not magnifying God. When we serve God begrudgingly, like as if, as if you know, I'd rather be doing this, uh, or, or as if I, I thought I deserved a little bit more, actually, Lord, um, 
but I'm going to go along with your will anyway. We, we fail to magnify God. What Mary does is she, 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 she magnifies God by, in a sense, losing herself in who God is and what God is doing in the world. And then freshly finding her true self in His will and in His plans. And this is what her song is about. Why is she so full of joy? Verse 48 and verse 49 tell us. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, now on all generations, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Holy is his name. She has a sense of the holiness of God, of the otherness of God, of the perfect justice and plan and will of God. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And she responds to his holiness, worshipfully magnifying God. And then in verse 50 and 55, she kind of turns away from herself again. And she reflects on God's expressions of his covenant love to his people. Uh, past, present, and future. God's plan of redemption. Let's read from verse 50 to 55 together. And His mercy is for those who fear Him. It's interesting that His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has sown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. There's this, there's this bringing down and there's this lifting up of the humble. For he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring. The theme of magnifying God we see here is God's mercy. It's God's mercy to his people, his steadfast love, his faithfulness to his people from generation to generation to generation. God is faithful and shown mercy on his people. Let me magnify this great God is what's going on in her heart. He has always been working in and for his covenant people. Even though, as we saw last week, it's been 400 years of dark times, remember? Of, of one oppressor after another oppressor after another oppressor after another oppressor. Yet through it all, Mary can see the, the fingerprints of God weaving and working his plan to this very moment where she and her life is woven into this glorious plan that God is doing. And she finds herself located in that great story of what God is doing. It's interesting, though, that time after time, God chooses to graft in and to use the weak and the lowly and the humble. Esther, David, the lowly shepherd boy who was forgotten in the fields, becomes the great and mighty treasured king of Israel. Mary, this young peasant poor girl, is grafted into this plan of God. God exalts the humble and he brings down the prideful. He opposes. We saw Pharaoh in our Exodus series this year. Pharaoh, who thought he was invincible, the most powerful man in the world, is brought low and the humble is lifted up. What's God saying to us here as well? Worldly power, worldly accomplishment, Pride on nothing before him. In fact, they're worse than nothing because they're, they're dangerous. They make us think that we don't need God. They actually, it's not, not, not just that they're neutral and they're nothing. They get in the way of us understanding our genuine dependence on God. 
And God shows us that, that he shows mercy on the humble. Those, who the humble? Those who admit their need for God's mercy. And Mary sees this. She, she says, you've looked upon me of a servant of humble estate. She sees that she deserves nothing from God, but she receives this profound mercy from him. And so she responds with joyous praise. Does that sound like your life? Do you think of yourself as someone who deserves nothing from God, but yet has discovered profound life and mercy from Him? And so therefore our hearts overflow with gratitude and wonder, and we magnify Him because of His grace to us. And and she does this even not knowing how Joseph is going to respond. It's almost as if she says, Okay, God, you, you've said this, and, and I, I don't quite know how it's all going to pan. I can't see further than here, and I don't know what this means, but you have said it, and so I'm going to trust you, and this is all going to work out. I think it's a beautiful picture for us in the middle of COVID. How many of us have, like, we've, we have plans, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and then, and then this is going to happen in my family, and then we're going to do that, you know, and we're going to go there, and we're going to buy this, and, or, or you know, in my business, and if I do this, and you know, and then and then we invest, and then or, or in my in my in my career, you know, I'm here, and then if I, and then COVID or or some or other thing, our plans are scuppered. We don't know what, what's it going to be like next. What's 2020? What's next year? 2022. What, what's that going to be like? I don't know. But if anything, we've got to learn in this moment, like Mary, that although we don't, we must plan. But our plans don't always work out. We have to learn to trust God for this next step that he's in. And that's what Mary seems to do. She takes the next step in faith, and and God works it out with her. She humbles herself, and she magnifies God, and, and that's enough. She knows she's not in control. She knows she can't engineer the outcome. But she's at peace that God is. It's a profound picture to us this Christmas. Let's land. So what about you? Will you magnify God? Maybe you say, well, I'm not chosen to be the, ma- the mother of Jesus. I think we can say with a reasonable level of confidence that no one here this morning is going to give birth to the Messiah, right? But like Mary, God has got a calling on your life too. And it's the most profound calling to you. It should be. Christ died for you. Christ calls you to put your faith in Him. He calls you to trust Him, to follow Him. Though you don't know where it will lead and though you don't know what next year will be like, you can trust Him and be faithful to that which He's called you to now, knowing that when you need to know the next thing, He will tell you that one too. I've lived my life by a profound little principle. It's not in the Bible, but it really helps me understand so much of the Bible. I was a young man and I was wondering, what should I do next in following God? And I was feeling like there was another thing coming and I wasn't, I wasn't sure what it was. And one of my, in fact, it was Arno who preached with us earlier this year. He'll be with us again next year again. Arno said to me, he spoke to me of, of a military principle called last orders stand. Last orders stand. You, you, you keep doing the thing that God has called you to do now until he gives you a new order. That, that same order is standing. And it's just this humble way of, well, I don't, I don't know all of that, but right now I know God has said this to me, so I'm going to faithfully do this as best as I can. I think it's a beautiful, humble way of living, knowing that God is ultimately going to work it all out. How many of our plans have gone awry during these pandemic years? 
life, like Mary, life doesn't always go as we think it should, or maybe like we deserve, we think we deserve it should, or even like we hoped it would. Yet in all of it, she trusts God. Just think for a second. I mean, all of these truths, I know they're beautiful and they're inspiring, but at the end of the day, they need to hit the reality of our lives. How are you doing? The message of last week, don't forget that. Zachariah got it wrong. But God still accomplished his will. God is gracious to us. Mary found favor with God, but that didn't lead her to this perfect life as she'd planned. Just because things have gone awry and things have been difficult doesn't mean you're out of God's will. Doesn't mean you've done something wrong necessarily. It could just be that it looks different than you thought. What do you do? What do you do? You trust God anyway, and you be faithful where you are, and you magnify Him as best that we can. We live in a culture where God has been shrunk. This great and mighty, glorious star has been shrunk to just one among many little lights in our culture, where everyone is indifferent to. You and I, through our lives, get to become like telescopes as we magnify something of the truth that genuinely is there, but our culture is just not yet able to see. As we magnify him in our own hearts, as Mary did. Mary says, Mary, last, week, last week, I think, or no, this week, when, when, do we, uh, when do we read? Mary treasured these things in her heart. And then we magnify God outwardly before our friends and family and neighbors as we respond in uh, obedient ways, following him. Let's pray. And I invite the band to come up. And I hand over to Mike. Am I going to pray? I'm going to pray, and then Mike's going to pray after me. Father, just this profound wisdom and courage from this young peasant girl chosen in this, from this obscure little town. No, and no one would have scripted it like this, Lord. It, it just, it, it's just not the way we think it should have gone. Yet, that moment you appeared, you, you overshadowed her. The history of the world would never be the same. And so in Mary, we find a beautiful example of someone whose lives whose life was radically changed by your gift and your plan and call to her life. But she responded in faith and courage and she responded in worship, God. Where are you at now? What does it look like for you to respond to Christ? One of the common responses in my heart when I come to God's word is repentance. Maybe repentance Repentance is, I used to think this way, but now I think a new way, and therefore I live differently. Is there a change in thinking? Is there a change in holding on to something? And now you want to grab a hold of something new. For Mary, it was grabbing hold of the truth of who God is. God, you are faithful to your people. You, you, you've got a sovereign plan at work, and I'm going to trust you. What does it look like for you to magnify Christ in your life?
Does something else need to diminish? What are you focusing on this season? Jesus, we freshly focus on you.